0: Today, I'm gonna start a brand new series and I tell you, I am excited about this. Uh, I believe that the Lord led me to teach on lessons from Elijah. And this is one of the truths that God has just used in my life miraculously. You know, I've used these verses many times, but they're just so applicable that I want to use this again out of 1 Corinthians. And in chapter uh, 10, It says in verse 6, Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all of these things happened unto them for examples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So in verses 6 and verse 11, it says that all of these things that were written about people in the Old Testament were for our benefit or our example so that we could learn through them. And you know, my testimony is that I got born again when I was eight years old. I've never been through a period of rebellion where I just went against the Lord. I've certainly failed and not been the person that I should be. But I mean, I've been seeking God my entire life. And according to some people's theology, you just can't really experience very much of God unless you go out and do all of these things. But the Lord has used Scripture to teach me things. And I mean, through the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 5 through 8, where it personifies, you know, wisdom and talks about how wisdom works. And it talks about how that it uh, shuns the evil woman, the adulteress and all of these things. I've learned through David what the cost of adultery is and the damage that it did to him and on and on. And I really believe that the Word of God, if people would take heed to it and learn the lessons through these people that uh, the scripture recorded, it would make a huge difference in your life. So if you are sick and tired of being sick and tired, I believe that this series on lessons from Elijah has something significant that God is going to use to change your life. So in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah just appears on the scene. There's no long introduction about him. You know, many of the other people that God used you see Uh, their family pedigree, you see where they came from. But in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah just appears on the scene and very little introduction. In 1 Kings 17, 1, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor reign these years, but according to my word. So the Bible, all it says about Elijah was that he was a Tishbite. He was an inhabitant of the land of Gilead. It tells you where he came from, but it doesn't tell you his father. It doesn't tell you any of the history about how he grew in his relationship with the Lord. It doesn't show that he had any inroad to the king, but he just went directly to the top because he had a word from God. The very first thing I want to say, that one of the things that you can learn from Elijah that is really significant is that this was a bleak time in the history of the nation of Israel. This is after the nation of Israel had been split into two parts. And the northern 10 tribes were called Israel and the southern two tribes were called Judah. And David's grandson, Rehoboam, was the king when the nation split, and then most of the uh, godly kings that you read about in the Bible were in the southern kingdom of Judah, and this northern ten tribes that was called Israel, they went into apostasy pretty quickly, and Ahab was one of the worst king Well, let me just rephrase that. He was the worst king that they had ever had in this nation of Israel. You can see that up in 1 Kings chapter 16 and in verse 30. It says, And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. So right there in Scripture it says that Ahab was the worst king that there was. Ahab married Jezebel. And you know, that name Jezebel to this day carries (laughs) tremendous negative connotation with it. People are, they'll often refer to people as you're a Jezebel. Jezebel was a wicked, wicked woman. And the scripture says that Jezebel is the one that stirred her husband up, Ahab, to do all of these things. We'll be going into this in more detail as we go through this whole series. But Ahab and Jezebel were wicked evil people, and they not only embraced wickedness themselves, but they tried to stamp out the worship of God. Matter of fact, let me just jump ahead over here in 1 Kings chapter 18, (coughs) and um, in verse 13, this is Obadiah speaking, a man who had hid 100 of the prophets of God in a cave and had been feeding them with bread and water for three and a half years. And in 1 Kings 18, 13, it says, "'Was it not told my Lord what I did "'when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, "'how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets "'by fifty in a cave, "'and fed them with bread and with water.'" And so Jezebel had not only embraced the worship of Baal, and uh, she was a queen of Israel. This was a nation that was started and dedicated to God, and yet she totally reversed the worship. She not only embraced Baal, but she went about to kill every single prophet of God. And later in this same chapter, you find that there were 400 prophets of the groves. This is prophets that offered sacrifices at these trees to all of these many gods of heaven. And there were 450 prophets of Baal, and Jezebel fed them at her own expense every single day. It says that they ate at Jezebel's table. And so Jezebel not only embraced Baal, rejected the God of Israel, but she tried to stamp out all of the worship of God. She was killing the prophets of God and she had 850 false prophets that she fed on a daily basis it was a state-sponsored religion and it was completely against the whole history of israel against the god of israel and she was just a wicked wicked person now this is the background that when uh, elijah appeared he walked up to king ahab who had been killing the prophets of the lord and he just delivered this word in the name of the Lord. He immediately put himself in the crosshairs and put himself right in the line of fire because Ahab and Jezebel had been out killing all of the prophets of the Lord. But before I get into some of these other things, let me just say this, that one of the lessons that I learned from this is that this was a bleak time in the history of the nation of Israel. It was total apostasy, The king and the queen were literally, I mean, not just uh, in a subtle way, they were overtly trying to completely destroy any true worship of God. And yet, at that time, God sent Elijah, one of the greatest prophets recorded in all of the Word of God. And Elijah did mighty miracles. And I mean, within a very short period of time, he was literally in control of that nation. He told the king what to do. He says, you gather the people together and bring them to Mount Carmel and I'm going to do this. And he says, you do it by this time tomorrow. And he was giving orders to the king and the king was obeying him. Well, that's powerful. And here's my point. Here's one of the lessons to learn from Elijah. And this is so necessary for us today. Today, we see Christianity uh, under the gun. In the United States, I believe personally that there is a tremendous surge of godliness. Now, you aren't going to hear that on the news. Uh, they always present all of the bad side of everything. But I mean, there are, God is doing awesome things. There are wonderful things happening in this nation, but you aren't going to hear about it. And sad to say, the news media and the politics has been taken over. By the ungodly. And today, in the United States as well as across most of Europe, there is a spirit of antichrist. There is a rejection of Christianity. And they are trying to just make Christianity be within the four walls of a church. And if you have any public expression of your faith in the Lord, boy, they come against you big time. But the Bible makes it clear that we are supposed to stand and publicly proclaim our faith in the Lord. And in many of these uh, countries today, uh, Christians are being told, you've got to keep quiet in the public sector, that it's offensive to people to have a Bible sitting on your desk if you're a teacher, that you can't say Merry Christmas and on and on and on it goes with all of the different things. And I tell you, many Christians are just being discouraged by this. And they are giving up and they're thinking, well, there's a decline. You know, the last days it prophesied that there would be a falling away and all of these things would happen. I actually have a very good friend of mine who uh, I was discussing this with them. And they just said that, you know, this is prophecy. There's nothing we can do about it. And there's many Christians that have resigned themselves to just letting the world take over and that Christians are going to be totally marginalized and put into our four walls, and we can't speak our faith and things like that. One of the lessons that I learned from Elijah is that this was a situation much worse than what we see today. And yet, instead of God just writing it off and saying, man, I'm going to let the nation of Israel go, He raised up one of the greatest prophets that has ever been recorded in scripture and Elijah came and I mean there was a red-hot revival. Things turned around in just a very short period of time and so one of the lessons I get from this is that if God did it then he can do it now and instead of God just retreating because you know the public opinion is going against him. Boy that is not the way that God dealt with Israel. He allowed them to continue on hundreds and hundreds of years sending prophets and ultimately there did come judgment on the nation of Israel and they were led in captivity into Syria and later there was judgment on the nation of Judah and they were led into captivity into Babylon. But I mean it was after hundreds of years of God intervening. And if God did this under the old covenant, we have so much better promises today We have the power of God today, and I believe that God is wanting to lift up a standard. I, for one, have not given up on the United States and Europe and all of these other places that at one time used to be so strong for the Lord. And these are some of the lessons that I learned from Elijah. All we need is somebody who will take the Word of God and be bold and speak it. Brothers and sisters, we have the greatest weapon that the world has ever seen, and that's the Word of God. The Word of God is the most powerful thing on the planet, but according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, it says, the Word preached unto them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. It has to be mixed with faith. To the degree that we will take the Word of God and be bold and speak it in faith, this Word is powerful and it can cause a revival or a riot today just the way that it did back then. So look at this, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, and it says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth. Did you know the very way he introduced this was offensive and in the face of Ahab because Ahab and Jezebel had basically outlawed the worship of the God of Israel They had instituted Baal worship, and they were killing any person who identified themselves with the Lord. But Elijah started by saying, as the Lord God of Israel liveth. Did you know he was still the God of Israel? Even though Israel had forsaken God, God had not forsaken Israel. He had raised up this prophet. And I'm telling you, the United States, God has blessed Israel. The United States in a way that very few nations in the history of the world have been blessed. And contrary to what some people are saying, even the president of the United States, America was founded as a Christian nation. Now, we are moving dramatically, quickly in a different direction. But this was a Christian nation. And even though uh, America as a whole has rejected God, God has not rejected America. And I like this. Here is Elijah speaking to a man who had basically renounced God, had instituted Baal worship, was killing anybody who identified themselves with God. And he walks up and says, as the Lord God of Israel. He still identified Israel with being God's nation and being started by God, even though it was a far cry from what God intended it to be. Man, I like that. And he said, "Before whom I, the, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And, you know, Elijah had a word from God. Again, this verse does not show his background. It just says that he was a Tishbite. He came from the area of Gilead. It told you where he came from, but he didn't have a history with the king. Uh, probably this was the very first time that Elijah and King Ahab had ever met because Ahab was killing the prophets of the Lord. And if Ahab would have known him prior to this time, he probably would have killed him. And so that he didn't have any inroad to the king. he didn't. It didn't tell you his background. It didn't tell you where he went to cemetery, I mean seminary, and his uh, learning and all of these kind of things. You know what catapulted him into prominence and into a position of influence, he had a word from God. God had spoken to him and said he was calling for a drought and it would be years until there was rain or even dew. There wasn't even going to be any moisture. This was a severe drought and it was going to be according to his word. You know, let me turn over and read this passage out of Deuteronomy chapter 11. And in verse 16... It says, Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, that ye turn not aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he shut up the heaven that there be no rain, and that the land yield not her fruit, and lest ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. The reason I read this is to say that Moses spoke this under the inspiration of the Lord, that if the nation of Israel ever turned away from the Lord, that God would send a drought. And I personally believe, I don't know if God spoke to Elijah in an audible voice or how he made his word known to him, but it was recorded, written scripture that if Israel turned away from the Lord, that God would send a drought to break Them and to show them that it was their rebellion against God that was the problem. And it's very possible that all Elijah did was just take this written word of God and have the Holy Spirit quicken it to him the same way that God quickens things to you and me. There was written word about this. We don't know exactly how Elijah got it, but Elijah had the word quickened unto him. And because he had a word from God, He went boldly right to the very top, to the highest man in the entire nation who was out to kill all the prophets of God. And he pronounced that God was still the God of Israel and that God was calling for a drought upon the land until he said so. Boy, that's powerful. One of the lessons I learned from Elijah is that you've got to be bold. He didn't just send a note to the king, he didn't just get in his prayer closet and pray about this and say, God, I'm calling for this drought. I'm calling for Deuteronomy 11:16 and 17, the things that you prophesied would happen if the people turned against you and I'm praying that this will happen. No, he didn't just pray. He didn't just send a note. He didn't just want something to happen. Elijah took the word that God had given him and he went out into the public square and he began to pronounce this word. And this is so important. Did you know if Elijah had just gotten his prayer closet and prayed and if the drought had come and then after three years of drought, if Elijah would have stood up and said, well, I'm the one that called for this. I prayed for this. But if he had never pronounced it in advance, did you know that it would have been easy for Ahab and Jezebel to say, man, you know, this is just something that happened in the natural and now you're claiming that there was spiritual, Uh, divine intervention that caused it. We don't believe you. It would have been easy for them to reject this. But because Elijah stood up when there was still rain, everything was good, there wasn't a drought, and he stood up and pronounced it and said it was going to happen for years until he said it could rain. He went on the record in advance. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this is what you have to do. And some of you think, but I don't have a word from God. Yes, you do. You know, if you're born again, if you have truly been born again, then you have a word from God about salvation. You understand that there is an accountability to God, that someday we're going to stand before him, and it's only those who have accepted Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me, John 14, 6. You have a better revelation of God than the Buddhists, than the Muslims, than the Hindus, than the atheists, than the pagans today. You have a word from God, but you've got to speak it, and you need to be speaking forth. And you know, the scripture teaches that God convicts every single person, all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. And if we would stand up and speak The Word of God. You might have people that reject you right now, but I can guarantee you they are going to come into a crisis in their life. They are going to have a problem. And all of a sudden, all of their uh, worldly approach to dealing with life's problems is going to fail. And when it does, they'll cry out and say, Oh, God, They'll, they'll turn to God and they'll think about God. And if you have spoken the Word of God and have taken a stand, they'll know exactly who to come to. But many of us aren't standing up. We aren't speaking the word that we have. There is literally a spirit of Antichrist that is present in this world. It's not anti-Buddha. It's not anti-Mohammed. It is anti-Christ, and we call it political correctness. We're afraid to speak the truth. But John chapter 8, verse 32 says it's the truth that makes you free. It's the truth you know that makes you free. It's not just truth. You have to know it. And believers have been cowed into not speaking the word of God. Just like Elijah, we, he had a word from God, but it wouldn't have had this effect if he hadn't have gone to the king and have boldly proclaimed the word that God gave him. I tell you, that is tremendous. That is one of the greatest lessons I've learned from Elijah, that it doesn't do any good to know what the word of God has to say unless you are speaking it. We do not understand how powerful the Word of God is. You know, in our public realm today, people ridicule the Word of God. I was listening to a talk show one time and they were discussing something that was a moral issue. I forgot now what it was, but anyway, a caller called in and he says, the Word of God says, and he began to quote the Bible, and this person who is doing the call-in show, says, now, I'm going to stop you right there. He says, we aren't talking religion. We aren't talking faith. We only want to deal with reality, stuff that's real. We, we aren't going to quote the Bible. And that was just his way of saying that he doesn't respect the Bible. He doesn't honor the Bible. He's not going to recognize the authority of the Bible. And that really is the attitude of the secular world today. They believe that's okay for you to read, but boy, don't push it on me. There is no reality to this. They would ridicule it, mock it, and stuff. And sad to say, that opinion has affected a lot of Christians. And there are a lot of Christians watching this program who you personally believe that the Word of God is true. You will let it speak to you, but you don't have enough confidence in it to stand up and proclaim that truth to other people because you're afraid that they might ridicule it. And it could be not, you know, a real strong rejection, just somebody rolling their eyes and you know that now they think you're a religious fanatic or whatever. And there's a lot of people that just will not boldly stand up and proclaim what the Word of God says. You know, in our United States this last summer, the Supreme Court said that the Constitution guaranteed homosexual marriages. It didn't. That is totally wrong on the secular level, just based on the U.S. Constitution. But it is especially wrong based on the biblical record. And there's a lot of Christians that know these things, and yet they won't stand up and speak. You know what? You've got a word from God. You know what the truth is. You know that homosexuality is not a good thing. It destroys people's lives. I could go through statistics here that show you that the suicide rate among homosexuals is like three times as much as among heterosexual, that the spousal abuse rate with men is like, I forget the exact figure now, but I think it's close to 300 times as much sexual spousal abuse among homosexual men as there is among heterosexual. And on and on you could go, the disease rate and on and on. Homosexuality is bad in every way. It's bad for society, it's bad for their health, it's bad for their relationships, it's bad for our relationship with God. There are many of you that know that. You believe it, but you won't speak it because it is politically incorrect. All political incorrectness is today is a spirit of Antichrist, and it has cowed many Christians into not speaking the truth. Now, we need to speak the truth in love. I'll agree with that, but we need to speak the truth. The truth needs to be spoken in love. I'm not against homosexuals. I love people that are homosexuals. I've got friends that have struggled with this, and I've dealt with that, and I haven't rejected them. I'm not against homosexuals, but I am against homosexuality because it is destructive by any measurement you use. There is not any measurement, no way of looking at it that presents it as a normal, natural type of thing. It is not natural. It is abnormal. It is perversion. And many of you know that. But will you speak it? Speak it in love? Will you tell a person the truth? And, you know, one of the points that I made is that if Elijah would have just had this word from God, Deuteronomy 11 verses 16 and 17 says that if the nation turns against God, that God is going to send a drought. And he could have gotten this revelation reading scripture, reading what Moses had prophesied and predicted, and he could have prayed and he could have spoken it forth. But if he hadn't have gone to the king and spoken it, They would have written it off as well. It was just happenstance. It was coincidence. It wasn't a word from God. This isn't truly God. It's just something that happened in the natural. But because he spoke it in advance, then when the prophecy came to pass, I guarantee you, everybody was looking for Elijah. Everybody wanted to hear what Elijah had to say. Likewise with us. We can't just sit there and have the truth of the Word of God and know that homosexuality, that abortion, that, you know, on and on you go with all of the social ills and, and all kinds of things. We can't just know these things ourselves and keep it to ourselves. We need to speak it and there may be persecution. There will be persecution. Second Timothy chapter three verse 12 says, yea, all those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You will be persecuted, but when these people go out and they marry their homosexual lover and all of a sudden they find out that man, this is terrible, this is the pits and their own conscience condemns them and they realize that it's wrong, and that they've been lied to, when that happens, then they'll remember those who spoke to them in love. And they will come to you for help. I'm telling you, Christians have been lied to and basically cowed to a position where they won't speak the truth. We need to speak the truth in love, but we need to speak the truth. And this is what Elijah did. Elijah went right to the king who was killing anybody who claimed to be a prophet of the Lord. And he walked up and said, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. He still proclaimed God as the God of Israel. And he prophesied this and spoke it boldly to the king. Man, that's awesome. And look in verse 2. In 1 Kings 17, 2, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, and it will go on to talk about how that he sent him to the brook Cherith, that he was going to provide for them food and bread for him and water, and he would protect him. But here is another great lesson. Boy, this one has ministered to me. I have seen this just set people free. That God won't give you step number two until you have taken step number one. Now, what I mean by that is God told Elijah, you go speak to Ahab and you prophesy that there's going to be a drought. And by doing that, he put himself in the crosshairs. Ahab was killing all of the prophets of God and he put himself in harm's way. And there wasn't, God hadn't already told him, all right, I'm going to, after you give this word to Ahab, then go to the brook Cherith and I'm going to command the ravens to feed you there. No, he didn't tell him that. He didn't promise his protection. He didn't know how things were going to work out until he had already delivered the first word that God gave him. You don't get step number two or step number ten until you act on step number one. Boy, this is profound. The word of God comes in steps and in stages. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It lists steps and stages. There's good, then the acceptable, and then the perfect will of God. You can see the same thing in Mark chapter 4, and I think it's around verse 28, 29. It says that there's first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. See, those things uh, mirror each other. They... They uh, complement each other. I really believe that God doesn't show you His perfect, total will for you all at one time. He does it in steps and in stages. You know, in my own life, when I really committed my life to the Lord, I was born again in 1958, but I was uh, turned on to the Lord and made a total commitment of my life to the Lord in 1968. And immediately I knew that I was going to be serving God full-time. And I knew that it was going to be worldwide, that I'd be traveling the world. So I had a really vague uh, picture of me serving God, taking the truths that God was sharing with me and sharing them with other people all over the world. But as far as how to get from here to there, there have been a million steps in between. And I didn't know what they all were. But see, God showed me just one step at a time He told me the very first step was to go to a little place called Siegelville, Texas. And I went there and I ministered to five people. Twelve people is the maximum we ever had in that church. And I did it for... Uh, two years. And then I went to Childress, Texas. In children's Texas, we had up to 50 or 60 people. And then I moved to Pritchett, Colorado, and we had 100 people come there. And there were just step after step, and I began to grow, and my vision began to increase, and I had trusted God for this. Now I could trust God for more. And there's steps and stages. And I believe that that's what the scripture says. There's first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. There's the good, the acceptable, and then the perfect will of God. So God is going to show you things one step at a time. And if you want step number two or step number ten, you've got to start doing step number one. Another reason that God shows us things step at a time is because He wants us to trust in Him. If God was to show us just every detail and say, here's step one through ten, now you do all of this, did you know it would be easy for us to get that word from God and then make a paragraph out of it and just go out and do things on our own? But as God shows you things one step at a time, it makes you dependent upon Him. You have to stay in relationship with Him because you don't know what the, what the result's going to be. And I certainly believe that that's one of the reasons that God didn't show me everything all at once is because He wants me to stay in relationship with Him. It's not like 40-something years ago, God just showed me what He wanted me to do, and then I haven't visited with Him for 40-something years. No, I have learned how to walk with God on a daily basis. God is speaking things to me today. I mean today. As in, last night I woke up and God speaking things to me and showing me things that He wants me to do. And I am constantly in contact with the Lord. And God is just downloading things to me one step at a time. I believe that this is confirmed by those scriptures, Romans 12, 2, uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 28, 29, 30 right there. I believe that those confirm that this is the way that God speaks to all of us. You know, there's a scripture in the book of Psalms that says the path of the righteous is like a shining light. Uh, that shines brighter and brighter until the day dawn in our heart. God will just show you things. It's it's like you carrying a lamp or something. God's Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And when you're carrying a lamp on a dark night, it doesn't illustrate uh, or illuminate a mile in advance, it just shows the area right around you. And as you take a step and walk into the area that you have light for well, then that light increases and it'll keep showing you. You can walk a mile. You can walk 10 miles, but you can't see the end of those 10 miles. All you can do is just see a little bit as the light is shown to you. You take steps and move in that direction. This is the way that God wants to lead us. And I've learned that there is first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. That's what Jesus said over in his parable about the man who casts seed into the ground, Mark chapter 4. And there's always steps and stages. You don't plant a seed and then boom, here's the whole stalk. No, it grows step by step by step by step. It puts out blossoms it, it, and then it begins to produce fruit. There's steps. We see this in the natural realm all of the time. It's the same thing in the spiritual realm. And this is one of the lessons that I've learned from Elijah, that he went, delivered the word from God, not knowing how God was gonna sustain him, how God was gonna protect him from this king who wanted to kill all of the prophets of God. He didn't have step number two. He didn't have the second word from the Lord. He just delivered the first word first. And then afterwards, God revealed to him the second word. And you know, I've gotten to where this is the way that I live my life. God is just showing me things step by step by step. You know what, you just need to do what God tells you. You need to start. And yes, things will improve. And yes, you probably could have done things better, but you know what, you just start. I've never done anything perfectly. And if you wait until you do it perfectly so that there's no mistakes, no problems, you'll never get anything started. There's a balance between what I'm saying. You don't need to just be haphazard. You don't need to go out and just do things without giving it thought. But at the same time, you don't sit there and wait until God gives you step one through 10 before you take step number one. You just act on what God is showing you. And here is one of the greatest lessons that I've learned through Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 2, after he had already acted on the first word, In verse 2, it says, The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Boy, now this is worth millions. I've had people come to Bible college And hear me teach on this and say this is worth the whole price of two, three years worth of Bible college, is this one truth. God did not send Elijah's provision to where he was. He sent it to where he told him to go. He said, I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. I have means he had already spoken to the ravens. The ravens were already obeying God's command. And since a raven could fly faster than Elijah could walk or run, I am convinced that when Elijah got to the brook Cherith, one of the ways he knew that he was in the right place was because the supply was there. You know, we don't know how long this brook was, but it could have been five miles, ten miles. I don't know how long it was, but there was a large expanse here. How did he know he was in the right spot? If he would have been in the wrong spot, The ravens could have been bringing the bread and the flesh, and he could have missed it. But God said, I have commanded the ravens. He had already spoken before the need existed. God had already created the supply. Boy, this is huge. This is one of the things that God has spoken in my life, and I have put it to practice, and I am seeing God provide for me supernaturally, Because I understand that before God, uh, before I ever experienced the need, God had already created the supply. You know, you could turn back to the book of Genesis and look. And God didn't create man on the first day of creation. Man was God's crowning jewel of creation. It was the greatest part. We were created in His image. There is no comparison between an animal and a person. Even though I believe God expects us you know, to take care of the environment we live in, and I love animals, and I am an animal lover, I'm not an animal hater, there is no comparison between a man and an animal. We were created in God's image. He breathed into us His breath. We are the crowning jewel of His creation. But He didn't create us first because things weren't ready. Did you know if he would have created man on the first day of creation, he would have had to tread water for three days before there was ground to stand on. And then God created the trees and the fruit and all of this and the mountains. He would have been having to dodge trees and mountains. When God created man, he created man at the very end. The very last thing he did was create us because he had created our supply before he ever created us. He didn't create us. And then Adam said, God, I'm hungry. And God, oh, I forgot. I've got to create something for you. No, God knew we would be hungry. He knew that we would need food. He created us this way. So he created the supply before we ever had the need. And God didn't create just enough fruit for Adam and Eve only. I believe that this entire earth was just abundant with fruit. Today, we have over 7 billion people on this planet. And did you know what? I believe in the beginning there was enough fruit for 7 billion people plus all of the animals. God has not had to create new fruit trees. He hasn't had to create more oxygen. Did you know when He created Adam and Eve, there was enough oxygen on this planet to sustain 7 billion people or 10 billion or whatever this uh, planet ever grows to? God has anticipated all of the problems, all of the needs that we would ever have, and he created the supply before we ever had a need. You can see that right here. He's telling Elijah. He says, I have commanded the ravens. He had already spoken to them. He anticipated that Elijah was going to need to hide. He anticipated that Elijah would need bread and meat every morning and every evening, and that he would need water to drink. But, boy, this is so powerful. He did not send Elijah's provision to where he was. He sent it there. He says, I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Let me ask you, what would have happened if Elijah would have stayed where he was and not obeyed God and gone to the brook Cherith? Well, it looks like since God had already spoken to the ravens, that the ravens would have obeyed God. The provision would have been there, but Elijah wouldn't have been there. And from Elijah's standpoint, he could have missed God's provision. He could have been sitting there saying, God, I spoke to the king, I did all of this, why aren't you providing for me? God was providing for him, but he didn't send the provision where he was he sent it to where he told him to go you know there are many of you that maybe you have tried to step out you have taken some baby steps towards something and you're sitting there saying God where's my provision and the reason that you may not be seeing the provision is because you aren't all there you're too much here are you doing what God told you to do You know, it's like in football, American football. The quarterback doesn't throw the football to where the receiver is. He throws the football to where the receiver is going. And so the quarterback is here. The receiver's over here. The quarterback throws the ball here, and the receiver runs, and they meet at the same time, and it's a completed pass. Likewise... God doesn't throw the ball to where you are. He throws it to where he told you to go. And if you don't obey and go do what God told you to do, you could miss his provision, but the provision is there. God always provides for anything he calls you to do. I can guarantee you that God has made the provision. It is not God that's not providing. If you aren't seeing the provision, you aren't all there. Man, that's powerful. You know, that speaks to me. Whatever it is that God has told you to do, the supply was created before God told you to do it. But there's things we have to do in order to receive. If Elijah would have stayed where he was, did you know that God still would have been faithful? The provision would have been piling up by the brook Cherith, bread and flesh, every morning and every evening, God would have been faithful because God is always faithful. It's never God that misses. But if Elijah hadn't have gone and done what the Lord told him to do, Elijah could have died of starvation. He could have died of thirst. And people could have looked at him and says, well, you know, this doesn't seem fair. God commanded Elijah to speak this, but then he didn't provide for him. No, God provided for him. God always provides for us. There is never a lack of provision on God's part, but there is a lack of obedience on our part. You know, right after he told him, I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there, in verse five it says, so he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. What would have happened if he hadn't went and did? If he hadn't gone and done what God told him to do? Let me just ask you, You know, is God put something on your heart and yet you're sitting there saying, oh God, just make provision. Again, I can use our Bible college as an example. I have had hundreds of people say, I know God has told me to come, but I got a house to sell. I don't have a house out there. I don't have a job. What about this? What about that? And they are waiting on God to send the provision to them where they are instead of there, where God told them to go. But on the other hand, I have had hundreds of people that God told them to come to Bible college, and just because they had a word from God, they stepped out, they began to obey God, and when they got there, which is here, you know, at Bible college, when they they got to where God told them to go, God just supernaturally opened up the floodgates. Matter of fact, I ask this question nearly every year of our students, and after two years in school, I say, how many of you are better off financially after two years of school than you were before you came? And we typically have at least 80 people, I mean 80% or 90% of the people raise their hands and say they're better off. Did you know that this defies logic? Many of them left good-paying jobs, and all of these kind of things. They came out here, they're going to school so they can only work part-time because they have to spend part-time in school. They're paying tuition above their normal expenses. And yet the vast majority of them are better off after having increased expenses, decreased income, and yet they're better off after two years. How do you explain that? I, I don't have an explanation, it's just God AND I DON'T KNOW HOW HE DOES IT, BUT HE COMES BY IT HONEST. IT WAS A MIRACLE THAT THE RAVENS BROUGHT BREAD AND FLESH EVERY MORNING AND EVERY EVENING, AND GOD SUPERNATURALLY SUPPLIED, BUT HE DID NOT SEND THE SUPPLY TO WHERE ELIJAH WAS. HE SENT IT THERE. THERE IS A PLACE CALLED THERE FOR EVERY SINGLE PERSON, AND IT'S WHERE GOD HAS TOLD YOU TO GO. AND YOU AREN'T GOING TO SEE GOD'S SUPERNATURAL PROVISION not only in finances, but in just every way until you go there. Did you know that emotionally there is a satisfaction, a contentment, a joy, a peace that goes with being there where God told you to be that you can't get if you aren't there, if you're just doing things your own way. Most people, I would say probably most people do what is convenient, You know, they've had an opportunity open up in their life and they take this job and they stay there because it's got perfect retirement and all of these benefits and health care and they look at things and they may hate the job. They may wish that they could do something else. You might be a person that gets up on Monday and talks about old blue Monday because you got to go back to work and then on Friday it's TGIF. You're so glad that you get some time off. I tell you, if that's the way you're living your life, you're missing God. You ought to find something that you enjoy doing, something that you believe God has called you to do. Life is too short to be just working just for a paycheck. You need to know that God is using your job and you're benefiting other people. It's fulfilling to you. You enjoy it. There is a satisfaction and a peace and a contentment that goes along with being in the center of God's will that many people miss because they are fearful of getting away from the shore. They're fearful of taking a step, moving out, trying something because they are just, uh, you know, they're, they're just thinking that worst-case scenario and they're thinking, but what would happen if I was to do all of this stuff? There is a satisfaction that comes with being in the center of God's will that many of you don't have. And there may be some of you praying and asking God and saying, Oh, God, I want peace. I want joy. I want happiness in my life. I want contentment. And yet you're doing something that isn't inside of God's will. You're doing your own thing, and you're trying to get God to bless it. I tell you, when you are doing what God calls you to do, you don't have to ask God to bless it. It's already blessed. You know, I've used this example before, but it just really blessed me, and, I, and it's a great example of what I'm talking about. That I had a partner friend of mine in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's since gone on to be with the Lord, but he had a business in Charlotte. Actually, it was in Matthews, just outside of Charlotte. And he had about 30 or 40 employees, and he would invite me over when I was in town, and he would tell his employees, the clock is running This guy's going to talk. I'm paying you for listening to him. Just listen to him as long as he wants to talk. And I would minister to them, and I'd see people baptized in the Holy Spirit, saved, healed. Great things happen. And anyway, one time after I had spoken to his employees, I came out, and there was an Oriental lady that was sitting at the desk, and she wasn't back in that group. And so I struck up a conversation with her and I said, "Uh, so who are you? And she told me, oh, I'm the new kid on the block and they left me here to answer the phones uh, while everybody else was back in the back. And she asked who I was. And I told her my name. And she says, what do you do? And I told her, I said, I'm a minister. And boy, her eyes got big. And she says, for who? And I said, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And she looked at me and she says, you're the one. And I said... What, I, I'm the one what? And she told me that the night before she had been, she was a Buddhist and she was going through her Buddhist rituals and she just felt in her heart that this wasn't real, that it wasn't what, you know, it wasn't the, the right thing. And she, she just stopped right in the middle of it. And she says, God, I know you're real. I know that there is a God, but I can't believe that this is it. And she says, whoever you are, would you tell me who you are. And she said that this ball of light came up right in front of her face, and it was pulsating. And she heard an audible voice saying, tomorrow I'll send you a man who will tell you who I am. And she looked at me and she says, you're the man. And I said, I am the man. And I got to share with her about Jesus. I led her into salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it was a glorious experience. But when I went out, and sat in my car. I didn't even start the car for a while. I just sat there praising God. And there was such a, uh, an emotion of satisfaction, contentment, peace, and joy. Knowing that I was exactly where I was supposed to be. God told her the night before that I would be there. Pointed me out. And I knew that I was the right person at the right place at the right time. And there was a satisfaction that goes with that that I wouldn't have gotten if I was out doing anything else. I could have been playing golf. I could have been doing anything else. But boy, there's just nothing that compares with being at the right place at the right time. And there are some of you that the reason you don't see God's provision, and it's not only financial, it could also be emotional. The reason that you're in a dead-end job is because you aren't all there you aren't doing what God called you to do. You're a square peg in a round hole. God created you for something else, but because of fear, you aren't launching out. You aren't taking chances. You're just going to play it safe. But you know what? You just need to obey God and don't explain it away and say, but, oh, I've got this parent. I've got this person. I've got this job. I've got retirement coming. I've got whatever. If God has told you to do something, just do it. Do it. Now, if you can do it and at the same time, you know, keep all of these other things going and do things, well, then that's great. But I'm saying, don't ever have a word from God that you don't act on because of whatever the reason is. You know, God spoke to me. One of the very first things, the first word that I ever really got from God after i turned my life over to the Lord was to quit school. I was in secular college at the University of Texas at Arlington And I was going to school, and as long as I stayed in school, I had $350 a month that I got from the government, and I had a student deferment, and I had the acceptance of everybody around me. But when I got turned on to the Lord, I hated going to college. I just, God changed my whole desires. Psalms 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean He'll just give you whatever you lust for but he will put his desires in your heart. And I just fell in love with God. I fell in love with ministering to people, and I no longer had any desire for secular college whatsoever. And did you know in the natural, this was a wrong decision. And I had everybody. I had the pastor, the youth director, all of my friends, All of, you know, just everybody, everybody told me I was doing the wrong thing when I said I was going to quit school because I would lose $350 a month from the government to pay for my schooling. I would lose my student deferment, and I would lose the acceptance of everybody in my life. And it looked like the wrong thing, but I knew that I knew that I knew God told me to quit college. And so even though it could have been life and death, Because, you know, as a result, I lost my student deferment. I got drafted. I got sent to Vietnam. There was many times I could have died in Vietnam. I mean, there was twice in one day I nearly died. And I could have easily died. It was supernatural the way that God protected me. It was a life and death decision. I doubt that any of you are facing something that is any more life and death than that decision that I made And yet I just did what God put in my heart and I didn't know what the outcome of it would be. As far as I knew, I could have died in Vietnam. I didn't know, but I knew that God told me to quit school and therefore whatever the consequences, it didn't matter to me, I was gonna obey God. Did you know when I did that, I moved to a place called there. I moved into God's provision and God supernaturally provided for me in Vietnam. You know, some of these things I didn't even know for 30 years later. But I reconnected with one of my chaplains that I had when I was in Vietnam. And this has only been about, I don't know, 2004, 2005, or no, excuse me, 2013 or 14 when it was. It's only been in the last few years. And anyway, this chaplain told me that his previous chaplain's assistant that he had, they were out in the field. He wanted to be out in the field with the troops and help them. They got under such intense uh, fighting that they had to actually call an artillery strike in on their own position because they were all gonna be wiped out. And so they did this and they huddled behind some rocks and his chaplain's assistant guarded him and laid his body over him. And when the shrapnel came in, uh, his chaplain's assistant died through it. So anyway, when I came into country, He got a call from the uh, brigade, or excuse me, the, yeah, the brigade chaplain, and he said, you never got called by the brigade chaplain. He was wondering what was happening, and this chaplain told him, he says, we got a boy here that's too religious for us, and we want to send him out to your fire support base, but he gave him a command. He says, don't get this one killed. I didn't know these things until 30 something, nearly 40 years later, And my chaplain told me that that's the reason they put me on that fire support base. And this is the reason that that chaplain did not take me out into the field with him. I think there's only twice that I ever went out into the field. It was because he had specific orders not to get me killed. That was my place called there. God just protected me. And I was in a situation where there was so much ungodliness around me that you know what, I just stuck my nose in the Bible, and I started reading the Bible for anywhere from 10 to 15 hours a day. And I didn't intend to do it, but when I went into Vietnam, I was a Baptist. I'm not against the Baptist. I got born again in the Baptist church. I'm not against them. I'm just telling you, this is my experience. I was a Baptist when I went to Vietnam. And after reading the Bible 15 hours a day for 13 months when I came out, I wasn't a Baptist anymore. My theology had changed, and the Baptists kicked me out and asked me to leave because I now spoke in tongues and had the baptism of the Holy Spirit and believed in miracles and believed in answered prayer and believed in supernatural things that they were not a part of. So I'm saying that that was my place called there. It turned out to be the best thing. As I look back in hindsight, that was my Bible college nobody was there teaching me but for 10 to 15 hours a day for 13 months i just stuck my nose in the bible and studied and it changed my life and you know how all of that started i got a word from god to quit school and i didn't know what that was going to lead to i didn't know if that was going to lead to my death i didn't know if that was going to lead to my rejection by there was all kinds of consequences. But I had a word from God, and when I went there and did what God told me to do, God started moving supernaturally in my life. And as I look back in hindsight, I can't honestly see how I could be where I am today without going through Vietnam, without going through this time that I just, I mean, plunged myself into the word of God. I cannot see how I could have ever gotten to where I am another direction. At the time, it looked totally bad. I had people pitying me and saying it's terrible. You know, here's God spoke to Andrew and Andrew obeyed God. And now, man, He look what it cost him. All it cost me was all of my religion. It cost me a lot of junk. There was a lot of carnal things that got burned off as I went through this fire. And you know what? It turned out to be the right thing. And I'm saying all of this to say that it's the same for you. There's a place called there for every one of us. And you've got to obey God. He is going to send His provision, not only finances, but emotional revelation. Everything that God wants to do, He sends to where He called you to go, not where you are. Boy, this is powerful. And the reason most people are not seeing the supernatural provision of God is because they aren't all there. They aren't doing what God told them to do. They aren't where God told them to be, but they're playing it too safe. They're afraid to step out. They're afraid to stand on the Word of God, and because of that, they aren't seeing supernatural provision. And let me read some verses. I didn't cover all of this, but in verse 5, this is 1 Kings 17:5. It says, uh, talking about Elijah, So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is, before Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. Now look at this in verse 6. This is really important that you get this too. The ravens bringing him bread and flesh every morning and evening. This was a miracle. It's a miracle. It's not normal. It's not natural to have birds bring you food. And even if somehow or another they brought you food one time, to do it every morning, every evening for months or even for years and take it to the exact location where you are, this was supernatural. This was a superseding or a suspending of just natural things. This was totally supernatural, but it says not only did he eat of the bread that the ravens brought, but he also drank of the brook. So you know what this is saying? There was supernatural and natural provision. (coughs) And I think that sometimes people miss God's supply because they're only looking for a supernatural provision. They don't recognize that God also uses natural things to make provision. The brook was just natural. And uh, to show you that it was natural, it dried up. As the drought increased and as there was less water, the brook eventually dried up. The natural provision dried up. And so I've got a new teaching. I haven't actually got it out yet, but it's going to be coming out soon. I'm also going to be putting it out in a book form, and it's entitled, How to Receive God's Best, and it's a replacement for an old teaching that I used to do entitled Blessings and Miracles. But blessings and miracles are two different ways of receiving from God. They're both from God, but they're different. A blessing is kind of a natural thing. It's a supernaturally natural provision. Whereas a miracle is a total miraculous uh, supply. It's a suspension or a superseding of, of laws. And God can meet our needs both ways. In this situation, God supernaturally provide, provided for Elijah, but he also made a natural provision for him. And I think sometimes people miss the natural things. They, they fail to do the natural things. You know, I had a guy one time that was a Baptist pastor and he got kicked out of his Baptist church when he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He came over to where I was pastoring and he uh, started coming to church and I became friends with him and ministered to him. And anyway, this guy struggled financially because he felt called to the ministry and he wouldn't work a job. And those of you who've watched my program, this was the same mistake I made in the beginning. For about five years, I struggled financially because I felt like I was called to the ministry and I was sinning against God if I went and worked a job. Finally, the Lord got it across to me that that wasn't so. And until the ministry grew to the point that I would literally have to miss ministry opportunities uh, if I worked a secular job, until that time I needed to be working and doing some natural things to just provide for my family. So the Lord finally got that through to me. Well, this guy hadn't learned that lesson yet, and I went over and I gave him food and did a lot of things. And one time I was talking to him and I said, why don't you just go get a job or do something? What, what kind of work can you do? And he said before he got saved I and mean, before he felt called into the ministry, he used to work on cars. Uh, he was a paint and body man. And he said anytime he needed money, he had cards printed up with his name and his company on there. And he would just walk downtown. He would look at cars that had a windshield that was broken, or if they had a dent or a bad paint job or anything like this. And he would just evaluate what it would cost to fix that. And let's just say that it was $500 uh, to fix this uh, problem with the car. He would put on his card and he says, today only, if you will call me today, I will do this for half price, $250, I'll repair your car. And he said, anytime he needed money, he just used to walk down the street and put those cards underneath the windshield wipers. And he said he would always get dozens of calls and have work lined up for weeks, and he could just have cash come in. And I said, well, why don't you do that now? And he says, because I believe in God. I want God to supply my need. And I said, why couldn't God supply your need through that? Why does it have to be that it just has to fall out of heaven in some supernatural form? Why couldn't God just take this idea that you've got and supply it through something natural like that? And anyway, he started working on cars. And when he did, he had all of his needs supplied. There's a balance between this. I'm not saying that we only look to the natural and only if it's something that we can do in ourselves do we expect God to use that. But on the other hand, you don't only look for it to just come in a totally miraculous supply. Here was Elijah, and he was eating supernaturally of the bread and the flesh that the ravens brought him, but he also drank of the brook. It was a combination of the two. God created natural laws, and natural laws are not evil in themselves. It's wrong if we become um, trapped in them slaves to them and we can't break out of that you know and if if we see the lord walking on the water well naturally we can't walk on the water but man we are not only natural we're supernatural we can do supernatural things god can take five little loaves and two fish and multiply them so that it feeds fifteen thousand people we don't need to be trapped in just the natural, but at the same time, we don't need to be trapped only in the supernatural and deny the fact that God could do some things through just natural, physical things. Man, that is a great truth right there. In verse 7, it says, "...and it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land." And in the next verse, verse 8, it says, "...and the word of the Lord came unto him, saying..." And this this second or this next word from the Lord told Elijah to go to the city of Zarephath, and he had commanded a widow there to sustain him. And so I'll get into that later. But right now, what I want you to see is that Elijah went there and was by the brook Cherith, doing exactly what God told him to do, and yet the natural provision of water that was there at Zarephath at um, Chirith it dried up. And you know why it dried up? Because of Elijah's prophecy. Boy, this is another great lesson that I learned from Elijah. Some people think that if you'll just do what God tells you to do, then everything is going to be smooth sailing. This is really how they discern God's will. They, do, they let circumstances dictate to them. And they think, God, if you want me to do this, then I'll go here and everything will just work. I'm telling you, that is wrong, wrong, wrong theology. If I just went by, if it's easy, I'll do it. If it works easily, but if it's hard, if there's opposition, if things don't look like they're working, then I must have missed God. I guarantee you, I would have, I would have missed God a million times. I have never found it to be easy doing what God called me to do. Now, let me uh, balance that by saying I have found a supernatural blessing and anointing, and God will give me the ability to overcome all of those obstacles. So in that sense, yes, I have a supernatural momentum and power behind me that helps me to accomplish things. But it's not because there's no opposition. Matter of fact, Paul said this, he says, a great and an effectual door is opened unto me and there are many adversaries. I don't believe that you should determine God's will by just whether it's easy or whether it's hard. You shouldn't let circumstances dictate to you. But if you did do that, I don't think that's the right thing, but if you did it, I think it would be more appropriate to say if everything goes against you and nothing is working right, you are probably closer to discerning God's will by opposition than you are by just smooth sailing. In the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. I won't take time to turn over there, but Paul had just been going everywhere. He had a word from God to go preach the gospel to every creature. And so he didn't just wait on God to tell him. It's not like he saw himself sitting at a red light and he was just sitting there praying and saying, oh God, show me which way you want me to go. No, Paul considered himself sitting at a green light and he just went. And if you look at his journeys, they just systematically cover this area. And so there were three times that Paul just was going to go to the next area, into Bithynia and into these other places, and God would forbid him and stop him. And finally, God spoke to him in the middle of the night, and he had a dream. I believe one of the reasons he had a dream is because in the morning, Paul would have been going in a different direction. He wasn't waiting on a special word from God. He was just taking the written word about going to all the world and preach the gospel, and he was acting on that. But finally, he did get a specific word. He... He didn't deny specific words if they came. He just didn't wait on a specific word. Boy, that's important what I just said right there. I know some ministers that they're just sitting at home praying and waiting on God to give them clear direction about what to do. And He's already given us clear direction to go into all the world, to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Start where you are. Start with your family. Start in your neighborhood. Go down the street. Man, I do not believe that you have to just sit there and wait. Man, I had a guy call me one time and ask if I would come hold a meeting, and I didn't have any other meeting set up. And he said, would you please pray about this and call me back? I said, I don't need to pray about it. I said, God's already told me to go. And I said, this is the only opportunity I've got. I'm coming. <laughs> Amen. And until I got to where I had more demands on me going places than what I could fulfill Only then did I start asking God for clear direction about which ones I should take and which ones I shouldn't take. But until I got to where I had more than what I could do, I just went everywhere I could go preaching the gospel. That's the way that Paul was. And so he saw this man in a dream saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And it says he woke up in the morning assuredly gathering that God had called him to go into Macedonia. So he and his company, they went over into Macedonia. The first place they went was Philippi. And within days, he was beaten and thrown in stocks in the dungeon in the lowest part of the prison. Did you know most people who think that God just uses circumstances to show you his will and if everything goes smoothly, then it must have been God. If there's opposition, then you missed God. People who think that way would think that Paul missed God, and yet it was very clear. He had a vision, a man saying, come over, and he knew that God sent him, and yet everything seemed to go bad instead of good. There are some of you that, again, maybe you've, you've heard from God, you've taken a step, but because everything just didn't fall into place immediately, now you're reevaluating, did I really miss God? Well, you know, you could have missed God. I'm not saying that you let circumstances one way or the other dictate. But don't don't let circumstances be the thing that tells you whether you missed God. You go back to your relationship to God. It says in John chapter 10, we're his sheep. We hear his voice. Talk to him. Let him talk to you. And if you're doing what God told you to do, you just do it if it hair lips ever devil in hell. You just do it regardless of whether every circumstance falls in place or not. You just do what God told you to do. And if somewhere you're way off track, and if you know you're just totally out there, and God's not controlling your life, let me ask you, what was the last thing that He clearly told you to do? And you know what? If you would go back, to what He spoke to you and you knew that He told you to do, if you would go back to that, you'd probably find Him right there, right where you left Him. The problem is we lean under our own understanding. We decide that we're going to do things our own way. You need to be absolutely dependent upon God's Word. This is one of the things about Elijah that I just love. Now, Elijah failed big time. We're going to deal with that in the 19th chapter of 1 Kings. But that's when he leaned unto his own understanding, and he went someplace that God did not tell him to go, and his whole life took a turn for the worse. But in the first part here, all of these victories that he had, one of the things that set Elijah apart was that he had a word from God and he did what God spoke to him. You know, over in Exodus, I believe it's chapter 34. Moses was pleading with God to show him his glory. And finally, the Lord said, I will be with you, and my presence will go with you. Now, Elijah, I mean, excuse me, Moses was asking for some visible, physical manifestation of God. He wanted to see something. And God responded by saying, I'll be with you, and I'll go with you, and I'll guide you. Moses' response was, God, if you don't go with me, I'm not moving from this place. And you know what? That's one of the reasons that Moses was so effective is because he just didn't do things on his own. And the time that he did do stuff on his own, like when he killed the Egyptian thinking that he was bringing God's will to pass, that turned out to be the wrong thing. cost him 40 years in the wilderness. And then after he brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, God told him to speak to the rock. He thought it would be more dramatic to hit the rock the way that he did the first time. So he did it his way. And you know what that did? That cost him being able to enter into the promised land. God wouldn't let him in because of that. Every time he did things his own way, it was disastrous. But as a whole, Moses was the kind that he listened to God and God, if you don't go with me, I'm not moving from here. Would to God that every person could become that dependent upon God. I'm telling you God has a perfect plan for your life. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 says, "I know the thoughts that I think towards you," says the Lord, "thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end." God's plans for you are better than your plans for yourself. I really believe that. Man, you've been through divorce, you've been through financial problems, you're physically, emotionally a total wreck. Your life is just messed up, and you're wondering, what's the problem? I can guarantee you, some way or other, you have leaned under your own understanding. You have followed your own instructions. It may have been what other people around you were doing. Maybe it was what everybody else was doing. But I guarantee you, if your life is a wreck, that is not God's will for you. God's plans for you are good. Thoughts of peace, not of evil to give you all hope in a future and expect an end. God wants you to prosper. Psalms 35, 27 says, Yea, let all those who favor my righteous cause say continually, Let God be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. God is pleased when you prosper. He is not pleased when you don't prosper. I'm telling you, it's a key to learning how to obey God, to just get a word from God and Only move when you have a word from God. When you don't have one, just keep doing the last thing He told you to do.